Hi, welcome to the Tell Me What You're Proud Of podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Maggie Perry. I'm a licensed psychologist with a doctorate degree in clinical psychology. I'm also the founder of the online group therapy platform, Huddle.Care. I love helping people overcome anxiety, obsessive compulsive disorder, mood disorders, and stress. Please join us each week as we share real sessions with actual clients that reveal helpful techniques for effectively dealing with anxiety, OCD, mood disorders, and stress. We'll discuss what effective therapy looks like, sounds like, and feels like. We'll follow our guests as they overcome their biggest fears and find that despite their biological vulnerabilities, they can still live a rich, full, and meaningful life. My therapeutic approach is strengths-based and seeks to find and reinforce what clients do well to help them generalize those skills towards areas where they're stuck. My model for psychotherapy can be summed up as this. You tell me what you're proud of, and I'll help you become effective and happy across all areas of your life. Thanks for listening, and let's get the show started. Thanks so much for tuning in today. If you're looking for a great place online to practice the mental health improving tips from this episode that's also COVID safe and HIPAA compliant, consider joining Huddle.Care. Huddle is an online mental health club. We offer additional education about mental health through our weekly newsletter. We provide support for your mental health through our community time and our altruism club, which is like a book club for your mental health. We teach new ways of relating to your anxiety and OCD through our skills groups and our individual out-of-network psychotherapy. We strive to meet you where you are in your mental health journey and provide what you need. Okay, now enjoy the episode. Hi, it's Dr. Maggie Perry. Huddle.Care is growing. If you are a licensed mental health professional in any state and you're interested in joining my team to run individual sessions or group sessions, please email me at team at huddle.care and I'll send you some more information. Thanks. Hi, it's Dr. Maggie Perry with Tell Me What You're Proud Of. This month, we're talking about avoid avoidances, which specifically speaks to how um, anxiety is created, maintained, and intensified by avoidance. So what we're trying to do when we're overcoming anxiety is find our avoidances and then do the opposite. So one way to think about avoidance is not just as behavioral avoidance, but also experiential avoidance. So the concept of experiential avoidance just um, means that um, experiential avoidance is any attempt to avoid any type of internal or external experience. So that can be a thought, it can be a feeling, it can be a sensation, a memory, an urge. Um, It's anything we do to block, suppress, neutralize, um, or avoid anything that's happening internally. And Um, So we'll talk throughout this session and in the group sessions to come about how um, cognitive avoidance, somatic avoidance, behavioral avoidance, emotional avoidance are all things that people do that actually make their anxiety and depression worse. So thanks, Jared, for being here to talk about it. Um, As I just bring up the topic of experiential avoidance, what comes to mind for you first? Um, well, especially with experiential avoidance, the first thing that does come to mind is, um, was during my time when I was living in San Francisco, actually, when I just didn't feel like I was prepared to, you know, do anything, uh, related to the workforce related to being like independent. And I just remember that every time, and this is when I felt like I wasn't at my very low point, um, during my life. So one of the thoughts that I actually did have that I very much do remember was 
you know, after dropping out of law school, um, which was in itself a pretty demoralizing experience because, you know, I just felt like I put so much work and effort into, you know, trying to get the results that I wanted and it ended up being the complete opposite. And it was a little bit traumatizing in a sense, just because I never really failed like that in an academic setting. Um, and that just really put me into a spiral, just like wondering what my next five years was going to be looking like, or, you know, just any type of long-term plan. So every single time that I had a thought of that had something to do, something that related to my future, um, I just couldn't really handle it. And I very much did avoid that by, you know, trying to go out, hang out with friends, trying to just get out of that thought process that I had. Uh, I feel like that that definitely led to, for example, you know, substance abuse, just constantly drinking, constantly, uh, you know, smoking weed. And I know for a fact that even from a long-term perspective or just even in that moment, Short term, I might be able to relieve myself, but I know that in the long term, uh, if I were able to look that long term and continue doing that pattern, um, you know, I'm just actually creating more anxiety and more avoidance to myself. And uh, I just remember that time just being just super depressed, just super anxious and just super not just just not myself. Um, so now when oh, you yeah. look back on it, you can tell that because you were avoiding thinking about your future through substance use and through distracting yourself socially, um, it was actually making you more anxious and more depressed. Um, I think those are really great examples because while substance use and abuse really does have the reputation of being an avoidant behavior and it commonly is an avoidance behavior, something like socializing can be confusing because sometimes it's an avoidance and sometimes it's a preference and a value-based action. And so just one thing that I wanna comment on is everything can be an avoidance and everything can be an exposure, so to speak. It just depends on the function of it. So if you're going out, if you're, um, there's nothing that you're avoiding, you're allowing whatever thoughts, feelings, sensations, memories, urges that you have and you just enjoy spending time with your friends, then that can be a values-based behavior. If you feel like you have to go spend time with your friends in order to not think about certain things or feel a certain way, then that's when that value-based behavior has become an avoidance behavior. So great job recognizing that that's what was happening. Do you want to say more about that? Yeah, I mean, it was definitely the latter um, that I was going out to avoid what I had to, what I was initially thinking about. So just going out to hang out just because I wanted to escape from those responsibilities that I had. Uh, the other thing was that, you know, a lot of my thought process also, I feel like just kind of ties into my upbringing, just how it, just how I was, uh, you know, just how I was taught in life, uh, you know, just to kind of like put up with it. Uh, just deal with it. What I wanted to say was something about my household, my upbringing, and how that also affected, you know, my way of thinking and my way of looking at myself, my own identity. And that just gave me 
initially I always felt hopeless. I had a lot, I felt like I had a lot less confident than I do now. Um, and just a bunch of other things. I felt like I had no value in society. And so that was probably one of the reasons why I kept wanting to avoid moving forward with my life instead of, um, you know, moving forward with my life. Instead of moving, moving forward with my life, I just decided to avoid it completely because of what I felt like, what seemed like uh, mildly traumatic uh, memories based on um, how I thought about my future, if that makes yeah. any sense. Yeah. So to kind of mirror that back to you, not only was it demoralizing to drop out of law school because that's what you were planning to do with your time and with your life, it also made you feel worthless because of the un the like um, cultural values that you grew up with, which is that you need to be contributing to so society in order to be worthy. And also if you feel anything painful, you should be able to just work through it. Or like if you're experiencing anxiety or depression, you should be able to um, overcome it and do whatever you've set a goal to do. And so in both of those scenarios where um, dropping out of law school meant that you weren't contributing to society in a particular way and your anxiety and depression got bad enough that you couldn't just muscle through it. Both of those made you feel like hopeless and helpless and worthless. And then those feelings were so painful that you didn't want to look at them. Absolutely. Um, it was so painful. I mean, I considered my, I consider myself both in, uh, I'm an introverted extrovert. I mean, that's how I like to sort of, uh, describe myself. And uh, as much as I would like to go out and, um, you know, hang out with my friends and socialize, there were a lot of moments where I would just want to be at home and not do anything. And everything would just seem like a chore, whether that would be to make my bed, take my dog out, or even take a shower. And so, um, yeah, I mean, just having that said, I just wanted to avoid what I felt like everybody else had and um, and that I didn't have. So every time I would go outside, I would like and see all these people who look like that they were working or look like that they were. Uh... OK, what was my point? I mean, in the end, I had my point about um, <laughs> what you just said and it completely forgot. Uh, um, you didn't feel like you were contributing to society in the way that you were supposed to. Oh, right, 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 right. Um, and yeah, I mean, I just had a lot of hopeless, worthless feelings and, you know, that in turn just turned into depression and, uh, just wanting to constantly be at home where everything just seemed like a chore. I think that, does that make any sense? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So it's how did you start to turn towards your depression? So your avoidance was maintaining your creating, maintaining your depression. How did you start to um, go towards your depression in a way that eventually made you overcome your depression? Um, you know, if it wasn't for therapy, if it really wasn't for my mental health treatment, I don't think I would have ever really learned how to deal with uh, my problems in another manner. Um, and that's why I am, you know, that's why I'm just so grateful to, to have this, uh, to have this consistent support to, uh, just very thankful to even have you Maggie. So it's, um, Glad to help. I, uh, can you, can you tell what you learned 
in mental health treatment that helped you stop avoiding? Right. Yeah. Well, first of all, I think the most general part that I needed to really find was a community. And I think that was the most important, the most, the more significant part of my journey initially. And uh, because I always felt alone. And so I needed that. Uh, so I didn't know, but I needed that group. And so when I was uh, encouraged to go to group therapy, to go to my community times, um, you know, in a way that really did help in an unexpected manner for me, because I always thought very negatively about all of this or various black and white perspective of what uh, mental health treatment is all about. And the more that I was able to immerse myself in these um, uh, on, on a weekly basis uh, with these groups and with these, uh, you know, community time, I was able to develop possibly new ways of how to, you know, deal with my issues, to go forth with my issues and overcome them. But not to just say that, you know, uh, you know, individual, my, I just value, I just happen to value therapy so much because it just changed the way that I view my issues and how I overcome them. Because even though I am still with them, I still have them. I'm better able to control them now. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah. It sounds like you stopped feeling the same degree of shame and worthlessness towards yourself. Once you started kind of talking about your story and learning more about yourself, you felt less shame and you also felt like you were less alone. And then over time, you were just able to face all your all the thoughts and feelings you were having about um leaving law school and kind of figuring out what to do next. Do you think, and actually having consistent space to talk about it was kind of the opposite of avoidance for you? Yeah, it was kind of an avoidance. Actually, if anything, it was more of an exposure uh, for me to actually do that because I remember at a time, I mean, this was still at a time where I didn't feel as comfortable sharing my personal thoughts, my personal feelings, and just kind of like expressing them in a manner where, you know, where I felt like a burden complex per se. Uh, and so just to have that community and just to even have that support to begin with was it was, it was new. It was enlightening. And it was, it just made me feel more relaxed, like calm that I was able to have this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So initially sharing your story and being vulnerable in that way, both towards another person and with yourself was probably really threatening um, and made you want to avoid. But as you got used to it, it then became like comforting in a way that you were learned to support yourself. Yes, absolutely. I mean, I even find myself, uh, you know, sometimes sharing just more now than I used to. And before that would just give me so much anxiety. And I can't believe it. In, in hindsight, it's easy to reflect on that. But uh, do you remember what you used to feel anxious about? Like, why did you feel afraid to share? Just I, I, I was just afraid to share because of who I was pretty much. I just felt like I was always going to be this awkward person that I'm, everybody's going to kind of make fun of me, that they're going to belittle me somehow. Um, and that my problems actually mean nothing 
because in the grand scheme of things, it feels like it should be nothing. But, but um, you know, the fact that I was able to get that support, I think that was really key because I never felt that type of, uh, how do you call it, like a prejudice towards expressing yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, there was actually like a support for that, like just be just like, you know, you're allowed to share as much as you want. You know, obviously don't share too much if you're like uh, uncomfortable, but I um, see, I hate that. This is what I hate about myself. I just keep forgetting. Um, yeah, you're doing a great job. It's okay. So, so basically you learned that <clears throat> you could go towards yourself and be vulnerable with yourself when you gave yourself the opportunity to share with others. Absolutely. Yes. So sharing with others also helped you understand yourself better. Yes. Yes, definitely. Um, yeah, I never really had this type of support group because, you know, even with friends, even with, well, friends, uh, you know, back at, back home, it wasn't, the, the support never really felt the same. I felt, like I wasn't really allowed to share such feelings. And because I was able to in this setting, it it was, it was quite a relief. I must say. Do you want to say more about that relief? It it was, it was just unexpected, you know, just an unexpected relief, a something that I never really felt I would ever uh, receive. Um, at least during this part of my life. And, uh, and the fact that, oh my gosh, like uh, maybe I wasn't crazy all along. Maybe I, I am allowed to say such feelings. I was just kind of, I was just either belitt- belittled for it or judged by it when that shouldn't even be the case. And it's not exactly, that's not really the case at all. <laughs> So, um, yeah. So you found that sharing in a safe space, um, like was the, was the opposite of shame for you. Like you, you found comfort and relief from it because you weren't judged. You weren't rejected. Um, everyone was allowing you to feel what you were feeling and even normalizing that experience. Yes. I I think shame is the right word. Um, that's probably exactly what I had. And I was, I like to think about shame as like a cue to connect rather than an indication that you should hide. Like shame naturally makes people want to hide. And so instead it's like a cue to connect. If you're in a, if the people that you're talking to have earned the right to hear it, then talking about your shame is the only way to overcome the feeling of shame. Yes. Yes. I believe that. And now I feel like I have that. I'm happy to hear it. Well, I'm aware of our time. Is there anything else coming to mind for you? Um, no, except for the fact that, you know, I want to commit to a goal Yeah, and, uh, I have been riding a little bit more consistently, uh, with my bike. So I want to keep that up cycling at least one more time before I go to my group session. Okay. Yeah. That sounds great. Great commitment. Thanks for bringing that up and thanks for being here. Thank you so much. Okay. See you soon. 
Thanks for listening to the episode. If you're looking for a great place online to practice the mental health improving tips from this episode that's also COVID safe and HIPAA compliant, consider joining Huddle.Care. Huddle is an online mental health club that strives to meet you where you are in your mental health journey. We have community time, altruism clubs, skills groups, and individual psychotherapy. Head to huddle.care to learn more. And don't forget to tell me what you're proud of whenever you can via email, my website, or on the social media channels. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening. If you felt any benefit from the show, please let us know and share it with anyone you think would also find benefit. As a disclaimer, please consult your doctor or therapist before attempting any strategies shared here. Thank you.